The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. The Unpost Irish Book Awards shortlist is being revealed at a function in the GPO after 7 o'clock. But we're going to jump the gun with a couple of announcements over the next half hour of what's on the shortlist that you can vote for as among your favourite books of the year. And three people that I'm fully confident will appear on the shortlist that will be announced tonight and who must have a great chance of winning, particularly as two of them are former winners, are in the studio with us. And they've all guests that you would have heard on this programme, all doing culture club in the past. That's Aoife Dooley, Adele Coffey and Paul Hard. Thank you all very much for being with us this evening. Thanks Thank for you. having us. So just remind us, each of you in turn, this can do a little sales pitch coming into Christmas for your book. What's your book this year, Adele? Your debut novel, remind us. Yeah, of it. it came out in January. It's called Breaking Point and it tells the story of two women, um, both very successful, both leading very different lives. One is a doctor, sort of high-paced, high-octane, uh, semi-famous. She's a guru on TV as well. And um, one day she forgets her baby in the car and unfortunately, um, by the time she discovers the baby, it's too late. And there's a kind of trial by media and the other character is covering the trial and it's kind of about how these two women have reached their own breaking points and about how their stories intersect. And um, I suppose the one thing I would say is maybe don't be put off by that sort of, that pitch. <laughs> it's um, it's actually more about sort of living in our world, living in our post-capitalist world, what, what the pace of life is like for all of us, whether you have children or not. And that's kind of what I wanted to write about with the story. Well, I asked you about it previously when you came into the Culture Club but it had just been released. Now people have had the opportunity to read it. What sort of feedback do you get from people when you're on the school run yourself perhaps <laughs> from the other mothers or do you get feedback? No, there's no time to talk on the school run, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well uh, people have been really um, really kind about it obviously um, and everybody says that they read it in one or two sittings um, so it is kind of pacey it is a page turner or so I'm told and I, I kind of wanted it to be like that and I, I wrote it under immense time pressure as well, really. And I think it just reflected that, that it... Um, Maybe that's a good thing. I, yeah, I hope so. Well, I'm writing my second book under the same terrible conditions, Matt. So How um, far advanced are you? This, um, it's in. It's in with my editor. Yeah, so very good. That's very impressive. We await her comments. Well, it's very impressive that, like, you know, you look so cool and calm. Not, and I'm sweating. I've just delivered a book. <laughs> if you truly really tell us about your book. So my book is a middle grade uh, graphic novel. So it's for ages like 8 to 14 and it's called Frankie's World. And it's basically about this little girl called Frankie and she's 11 years old and she feels a bit different to everyone else in her class, but she's not sure why. And she kind of is convinced that she's an alien um, and she just wants to find out why she's so different. And she decides to try and find her biological dad to see if he's just like her. And it's a... It's really a story about like just accepting your differences and appreciating who you are and just, you know, being you. And that's kind of uh, the, the kind of gist of it, really, without giving too much away. I remember growing up loving comics and sort of graphics books like the Asterix books. I don't know if anyone is familiar with yeah. those. Yeah. But how good do you think is it as a way of getting maybe ch children, even young teenagers into reading, perhaps doing it to the graphic novel form? I think it's really important, um, even for adults. Like I, I wasn't a really strong reader and I, I got into graphic novels and I loved them. It's probably one of the only things I read because I'm a visual person, so I love looking at the pictures. But um, 
the, the since it's came out in January, there's been so many parents who've messaged me to say thank you, thank you, because their kids don't read and they're literally picking up the graphic novel and they've read it like two or three times. Like, and that's just amazing to hear. You couldn't ask for any more. And I think that they're they're very important because uh, everyone reads and learns differently. So I think. Um, it shouldn't be kind of, um, sometimes people might look down on a graphic novel saying it's not a real book, but it's very real. So I think uh, it's very important if your child is interested in it to encourage it. So, Okay. Paul Howard, you've done yeah. two books this year, haven't you? I have, yeah. <laughs> I published the uh, the latest Ross O'Carroll Kelly book in September, which was Once Upon a Time in Donnybrook, where uh, Ross coaches the Irish women's team. Um, and then uh, I, I ghost wrote uh, The Rodfather. Well, oh, we had Roddy in Roddy here Collins. last week. Yeah, now, you were supposed I, to come I, in with him and you didn't, but you know, in retrospect, it probably was a good idea we let him out a week because you wouldn't have got a word in edgeways. <laughs> and that would have been the first time that's ever happened to you. <laughs> Two talkers. It is a wonder that that a book ever came out of Roddy's kitchen like because Roddy and I would we'd set up in the morning at about nine o'clock and Roddy would make scones or he wouldn't make scones. He would, he would heat a scone for 30 seconds and, <laughs> and, and put two cups of coffee on the table and we'd start talking. And it would be like three hours before we actually talked about stuff that was relevant to the book. Mm. But I'd always said, or I'd been saying for years, I wasn't really that interested in doing another ghost written book. I hadn't done one since 2005. That's when George I Hook's book. wrote George Hook's book. And it was such an amazing, that was such a great story. And I said, it will, you know, there, there aren't that many stories that actually interest me. And if you'd asked me, you know, give me three names uh, who's, you know, that, that would bring you back into that, one of them would have been Roddy Collins mm-hmm. because I knew Roddy's story and it was more than, it was more than the story of a journeyman footballer. It was the story of just, just this amazing life. I mean, I was writing this book after all these interviews at Roddy and there's 20 chapters in it and I'm starting chapter 19 and I think to myself, hang on, he still hasn't gone bankrupt. He still hasn't had his heart attack. He still hasn't lost his house. Um, And and this was like coming, this is coming into the home straight. So it's not like, it wasn't like, you know, a sort of conventional sports biography, autobiography, where there's a sort of big moment at the end, which is winning an Olympic medal or winning the World Cup or, you know, winning the Grand National. This was, I keep saying it's like a, it's, it's like a Forrest Gump story. It goes all over the place, you know. There's one point towards the end of the book where he's broke and he's co- he's training bare knuckle travellers, you know, in, in, in fight, for fights. And then he's plastering on a building site on Fleet Street the day after he sacked by Carlisle United. Uh, you know, he's, he told everyone in Carlisle, I'm going to manage Man United one day. And that's how that story ended. So it takes so many twists and turns and it, it was so much fun to write. Uh, what, what's it like, though, trying to make sure that when you do write it, that you get his authentic voice rather than it becoming you? Well, you know, with, with Roddy's voice, it's not that difficult to capture it because if you spend any time in Roddy's company, that's all you hear after a while. He's got such a such an idiosyncratic way of talking that, you know, for me, getting out of Roddy's voice was the difficult thing. Like, especially we did long sessions together and we'd have maybe eight, ten hours of interviews and I would just hear Roddy in my <laughs> if it does sound like there's a graphic novel could be done out of Roddy Collins' story as well maybe you should combine for the version for teenagers yeah, sounds, with Paul sounds interesting yeah 
He would love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'd fancy himself as Roy the Rovers, wouldn't he? Ah, uh, he definitely would. Yeah, yeah. I think he would. He would definitely take a, a sort of strong editorial control over the uh, over the illustrations. Like, like didn't come a little bit better looking than that, Eva. <laughs> okay. What have you been reading this year? But I mean, do you get time, Eva, to read when you're doing your own work? Uh, to be honest, not really. Um, I, I'd read in between. Um, so when I can. But I think this year, like, I only, I'll be honest with you, I only really got into reading in the last couple of years, but particularly this year. And uh, I started reading loads of different um, graphic novels. And uh, one that really stands out to me is uh, Jared Krosaka. And uh, he has a, a, a graphic novel called Hey Kiddo. And it's a young adult, but it's, it's really good. And I, I enjoyed his books and in the Heartstopper series as well. So I've been kind of reading more graphic novels than uh, I think I've read in the last couple of years, but they're like kind of the top of my list from this year. Adele, what about you? Do you get a chance to read? If you're busy writing and you're busy raising a family and doing all the things that you have to do, do you actually manage to find the time to read? I do, um, much to my husband's consternation when I have the light on uh, far too late into the night. But um, I, I love reading and I actually don't... Well, I do understand why writers say, oh, I can't read when I'm writing because, you know, the stories distract me or they, they sort of interfere with my own story process. But for me, if I was to stop reading, it would be like stop stopping, you know, doing the thing you enjoy the most and the thing that gives you a, an escape, uh, a pressure valve, a pressure release valve. You know, it's the thing that I enjoy the most. So I do constantly read um, things I really enjoyed this year. I loved uh, Christine, Christine Leach's memoir. It was called Negative Space, an amazing book, a very brief book. Um, all about her personal life and all about art as well. And also Sean Hewitt's book, um, Oh, All Down, Darkness Wide. It's a German Manley Hopkins quote and I always get it back to front. But um, that was amazing too. Brilliant, brilliant memoirs and writing coming out of Ireland at the moment, I think. But I love a good thriller. And one of the brilliant perks that has happened to me this year, thanks to having a book out, is people send me books now. For, uh-huh. So I'm reading Liz Nugent's book, which is coming out next year. And I'm reading a brilliant book called The Quiet Tenant, which is coming out next year. It's kind of like a grown-up version of Room, I would say, without giving anything away. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, so I read all the time. And what about you, Paul? I read constantly, unlike Adele. <clears throat> I do my reading in the morning because I I, I, I've got something like narcolepsy. Like when I go <laughs> to bed at night, as soon as I lie down, I'm asleep. Uh, so I can never get through more than one page. So I tend to get up early in the morning, like on a Saturday, I'm up at six and I'd, I would read for six hours straight, like without, without getting up to make coffee or anything. And what sort of things do you read? Well, everything. Like, I read a lot of non-fiction. I don't read a lot of literary fiction. This year, I loved Emily Harrigan's um, The Other Guinness Girl. And it's the third in the the trilogy. Um, I'm kind of quite close to this subject because the first two books were about uh, uh, Una, Eileen and uh, Maureen Guinness. And I wrote a book about Tara Brown, who's um, the the son of Una. So I was very, very close to it. And I knew Gareth, who was Una's son, very well for, for, you know, about 10 years. So he told me so many stories about his mother and his aunts. And when I read the first book in this series, it was like, it was like Emily was there. It was like, you know, and it was a, it was a reimagining of their lives but she she knew it so well. And I know she didn't have the access that I had, but she's just she's just such a brilliant writer. I actually originally when I'm when I had the idea of, of doing a story about Tara Brown, I wanted to do it as a as a novel. 
And when I read Emily's, the three books, and including the latest one, which is about Honor Guinness, uh, I was so glad I didn't because I just, you know, sometimes you read a novel and you think, I wish I'd, re- I wish I'd written that. I wish I'd been able to write something like yeah, that. Yeah, but the book you wrote was one of your best. It was brilliant. Well, well, thanks. But it was, and thanks for saying that, Matt, and, but it's nonfiction. Yeah. And I don't think I could have done anything, any, the justice that was required for the Guinness family for that book. Mm. The other one, can I mention by an old colleague of ours, Dave Hannigan, 15 Rounds in the Wilderness. It's about Muhammad Ali. Well, he, he's doing a series of Muhammad Ali it's books. It's third research, book yeah. about Muhammad Ali. And this book, when I, went, when I heard about it, I said, wow, that's, that's, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder how this is going to go. So it's, it's Muhammad Ali, the 15, 16 years after, or sorry, 15 years after he finished boxing. And it was when he started to become ill, when, when you know, he was ill while he was boxing. He probably fought two or three fights, maybe four fights more than he should have. And when the Parkinson syndrome starts to take over and it's almost like a day by day account of what happened to Muhammad Ali and it's hard. Every single page breaks your heart. All right. Look, unfortunately, I'm out of time and we have more authors outside that I want to bring in after the break. Uh, I suspect all of you will be getting a nomination tonight on the shortlist for the uh, Post Irish Book Awards and... uh, Best wishes, best luck. We'll be explaining the voting system to people as well afterwards. I'm sure Roddy Collins has it rigged anyway for the sports book at this stage. <laughs> He'll be sorting people out if they don't vote for him. Thank you all. Uh, Paul Hard, Adele Coffey, Aoife Dooley, and we'll have more when we come back after this. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Well, we're continuing our look forward to the Unpost Irish Book Awards nomination, the shortlists later on at the GPO after seven o'clock. And I have two of our favourite writers here, Louise Kennedy and Angela Flannery. But first, Bert Wright from the Unpost Irish Book Awards. You can actually give me one of the shortlists. We'll uh, preempt the official announcement at seven o'clock this evening. Give us one of the shortlists, please. And then we'll discuss as well how people can actually vote because listeners can vote. Right. Well, we'll start with the Eastern Novel of the Year, for which the shortlist is as follows. Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. The Colony by Audrey McGee. Seven Steeples by Sarah Baum. The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. The Queen of Dirt Island by Donald Ryan. And The Raptures by Jan Carson. That's a shortlist for the novel of the year. That's a terrific, some terrific novels there. And we've had people like Donna Ryan on the programme before, but we have Louise Kennedy with us. Congratulations and be nominated for Trespasses. Uh, I'm not sure I'm probably allowed to say this. It's my favourite book of the year. Oh, thank it is you. Well, you're allowed, I think you're allowed to say it. Thanks terrific <laughs> novel. But for those, we did discuss it at length previously, but for those who didn't hear you as a guest on the programme, just briefly explain what the book is about, please. Uh, yeah, so my uh, novel is called Trespasses. It is set in um, in a small town on the shores of Belfast Lock in 1975. And it's about a young Catholic teacher called Kushla Lavery who helps out um, in her family pub in the evening where she um, where a man walks into the bar and uh, they begin a relationship that's uh, very fraught for all kinds of reasons and um, and also alongside that uh, she becomes very close to one of her pupils she teaches a class of uh, seven or eight year olds um, I suppose the thing about the town is that um, Kushla belongs to a very kind of tight uh, traditional Catholic community and it's in um, the, the town is predominantly Protestant and um, um, and it's during the Troubles so yeah there's lots of tension and conflict 
Terrific. Thank so you. Congratulations Thank on you the nomination. I absolutely I read it on holidays and I gave it to Alien. My wife said you have to read this. Now I was very interested from the point of view that I remembered the area myself the north myself as a child going up there regularly to my grandparent my grandmother at the time, but you just caught everything pitch perfect. It's Thank beautiful. You. Angela Fannery. You're here as well, but let's just remind us again about your great book that you wrote this year, which is your first. Yeah, it's my debut novel and um, it's called The Amusements and it is set in Tremor in County Waterford. And it's the story of two teenage friends, Helen Grant and Stella Swain, who grow up in the town together. One of them is quite middle class and the other one is from a working class family. And... um, Basically, a war erupts between their mothers and they're driven apart. But their story is told from the point of view of a lot of people around the town. So it's a portrait of a community and of a seaside, a Victorian kind of faded seaside town and all of the kind of people that live there that you'd expect to see there, like guest house owners, caravan park owner, the circus, all of the, you know, so it's quite colourful. And I suppose really you kind of keep reading it to see whether or not Helen and Stella ever reignite their friendship or whether, you know, the mothers have managed to drive them apart. I've just realised both of you have done something similar. You've gone back very much to mine your childhood as middle-aged woman to go back and write about the places that you remember <laughs> from your childhood. You're too far away for me to slap your mouth. <laughs> Sorry, Angela, what's wrong with that? Now you're in trouble, man. Um, yeah, no, you're actually, you know, you're right. I think myself and Louise both started writing in our late 40s and published at 50. Um, so we, yeah, we have had a similar experience. I didn't grow up in Tremor. I grew up in Clondalkin. But, but I was to go there a lot. I was born you? in Waterford yeah. and my mother, uh, after my father died, you know, in well into, yeah, 20 years ago, moved to Tremor. Right. You know, so I spent a lot of time there. But I mean, I could, I was not in Tremor as a teenager. Oh, yeah, you okay, could right. not at gunpoint have gotten me to go to Tremor as a teenager, you know. So, um, but I love it now. I absolutely adore it. I love going down there and we spent, our, you know, childhood holidays there and we're very small children living in Waterford City before we moved to Dublin. And so now we've raised our kids, me and my siblings, you know, and we bring them to Tremor on holidays and, you know, they kind of do what we did when we were small kids. And it's just a great place to be, you know. It's And my mother loves living there. It's a beautiful place. So, yeah. Louise, do you ever go back up north? Um, I was there last week. Um, yeah, um, I don't go to Hollywood, which is the place that I lived in so much. It's six miles from Belfast. So when I do, um, I, I spent the last few years um, kind of fairly attached to Queen's uh, University um, for various reasons. So I did an MA and then a PhD there. And then I had a fellowship. So, um, yeah, I tend to um, kind of cling to Queen's and Botanic and stuff like that when I go these days. So, yeah, I do go back. But you did mind your memories, didn't you? I did mind my memories. Yeah. So really, um, I, I think maybe the, the reason that the novel is set in 1975 is because um, I, I, I'm maybe a bit stuck in that year because um, it's the year that um, the family pub that that, that my father's family had um, uh, was sold after a couple of bomb attacks. And, um, you know, a lot of my family began to leave the north then. And, um, you know, I went from living within walking distance uh, from a lot of the relatives on my father's side, all the relatives on my father's side, to, you know, most of them being gone. So, um, yeah, I, I think Hollywood's probably changed very much for me. So it's kind of, I think, um, you know, I used to go back sometimes and expect it to be the same, but... Um, I think maybe when you leave a place completely, sometimes, um, you know, there's no trace of you. I, I definitely found that with us, so I don't go back so much. Now, Bert, if I can get you sitting a bit closer to the microphone, sure. if you don't mind. If people listening do get the opportunity to vote, don't they, in the various categories? There's 18 categories. You've just given us one, which is the novel of the year. But if people want to vote, how do they go about doing so? 
It's very simple. All you need to do is to go onto the the awards website, which is anpostirishbookawards.ie, and they can vote there. Uh, you don't have to vote in every category. You know, if your interest doesn't stretch to cooking or soccer or, or sport, it doesn't matter. You don't need to vote in every category. But we do get... On average, more than 50,000 people voting every year. And we're kind of proud of that in Irish Book Awards because it means you've got 50,000 people. That's an enormous people. level of engagement. It's a level of engagement. You know, it's getting people reading. But if people care enough to go online to actually vote, I think it says a lot about, uh, you know, the Irish reading public. So, But the shortlist was put together by a panel of judges in the first place, wasn't it? It was, yeah, a trade panel, yeah. Okay. And do they have an, a say in the final outcome as well, or is it simply going to be the votes of the public? There's two two constituencies, if you will. <laughs> it's a, a bit like the Eurovision, isn't it? Like where you have a part of a panel and the yeah. public vote. Yeah, it's a, bit more like, it's a bit more like Strictly, actually. <laughs> I don't so, watch Strictly, but go on <laughs> anyway. I, but I, um, I believe this is uh, how they do it too. There's a public constituency, public vote, 50,000 people or more vote for that. And then there's also what we call, rather grandly, um, the voting academy. And that's critics, reviewers, bloggers, librarians and all. And they get to vote too. And the balance is 50-50. And that way we come to an accommodation between the two sets of votes and come up with a winner. Okay. But when you consider you know, the Booker Prize and all these other prizes are decided by four people in a smoky room, it's a subjective opinion. There's a lot more people get involved in the Irish Book Awards in that sense. Okay, what have you been reading this year, Louise? Um, I've read a couple of great short story collections. One is by Sheila Armstrong, um, um, who lives in, in Sligo. It's called a great title, How to Gut a Fish. And um, they're really um, slightly strange, really beautiful kind of mesmeric, I think, um, short stories. A lot of them are set, um, you know, um, on I wouldn't say even the seaside, but kind of um, a place that's probably, it seems like a very thinly veiled version of, of, of Ross's of Ross's point um, in Sligo. Um, Bernie McGill's short stories as well, um, I, I think were wonderful. Those were published by... Um, no Alibis Press. It's called This Train is For... And I think her writing is really beautiful. And um, uh, a non-fiction book that I think is um, really incredibly well-written and also really important is Sally Hayden's book, which has already won a, um, a, a couple of prizes and it's been shortlisted for the Bailey Gifford Award as well. And it's called The Fourth Time We Drowned. And that's about, I suppose, about the desperate journeys that migrants make and also about... Um, our efforts to, to to hold them back in in, in Europe. Uh, um, yes, really she's incredible. been a guest on the programme yeah. actually talking about the book. Yeah. What about yourself, Angela? What have you been reading? Well, Trespasses is also one of my favourite books of the year, not just saying it because Louise is sitting 10 feet away. <laughs> um, I love Donal Ryan's uh, new novel, The Queen of Church Island as well. And I also really like Sheila Armstrong's collection. Very weird, strange um, stories, but I love short stories. Um, and you like weird and strange too. I do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it, because... Now we're out and we're doing festivals and we're able to do events again. I've gotten to meet other debut authors um, and, and look at their work as well. So that's been really kind of exciting. So I've got a very large to be read pile with. Um, but yeah, are you reading as much now that you can get out and about? I mean, lockdown was for many people mm. a great opportunity to catch up on books and do more reading. Now that the restrictions of lockdown effectively have gone since the start of the year, mm. are you reading as much? 
I'm reading more. I found it really hard to read during lockdown. I found it so hard to just concentrate. And I did a lot of because I was constantly out walking. You know, I listened to a lot of audio books, but I went back to stuff. You know, I was listening to Virginia Woolf and I listened to Moby Dick, which was about 30 hours long. You know, so, well, probably oh, not wow. that long. It was very long, though. You know, a lot of miles got in that way. So I started re-listening to um, like Orwell and stuff when I was walking around. Yeah. So I just couldn't focus. I mean, I could read short story collections and that was fine and sort of novellas. So there was short stuff like Claire Keegan's novel was, you know, just the right length for me. Um, and Elizabeth Strout, when O. William came out, that was just the right length for me. And Kevin Barry's short story collection came out, I think, during lockdown. That was great. But generally, I could not have sat down with a novel of more than 200 pages. I couldn't focus. What about you, Louise? Um, yeah, I, I think I'm probably... I read a lot during lockdown, but I just think for various reasons I have found it hard to find time or just maybe the headspace or something for um, reading. Um, I read... Yeah, I, I did some audiobooks as well when I was walking mm. during lockdown. I read... Um, or I listened to um, Colin Firth reading uh, Graham Greene's The End of the Affair, which I highly recommend for lots of reasons. Um, and then... Um, um, yeah, recently I guess I've been reading kind of bits of essays and things. So Sinead Gleeson's... Um, the, the, uh, this woman's work, the, uh, uh, an essay collection that Sinead Gleeson co-edited yeah, with Tim Gordon. Yeah, that, yes. it's really brilliant. There are amazing essays in there. Yeah, so... Okay, yeah. right. So Bert, in the time we've left to us, you've got a second short list to give us, please. I do, and that's the... Get you a little bit closer to the microphone. Yeah, sorry about that, yeah. It's the sports book of the Eastern Sports Book of the Year in association with Ireland AM. And that list is as follows. The Game by Ty Coakley. A History of the GAA in 100 Objects by Siobhan Doyle. Point to Point, The Heart of Irish Horse Racing by Richard Pugh and Pat Healy. Life Begins in Leitrim by Zach Moradier with Niall Kelly. The Rodfather, Roddy Collins with Paul Howard. And finally, Kelly, Kelly Harrington with Roddy Doyle. So some high-powered ghostwriters in there. Mm. There are indeed, yeah. Roddy Doyle and Paul Howard, big ghostwriters. And now Kelly has been fantastic uh, sports writer and ghostwriter yeah. as well. So those, all of these and all of the others that will be announced in the GPO will be available again on the website that people can go to to vote. The website is anpostirishbookawards.ie and the voting opens tomorrow at 9am. Thank you very much. Congratulations, Louise Kennedy, on your nomination. I'm assuming, Angela Flannery, you'll be nominated uh, later on this evening as well. And uh, Bert Wright, thank you very much for coming in to us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-